Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm thrilled to have on the show today, David Smith, who is a prominent attorney in New York City and also an all around unbelievable person. Frankly, the conversation we have, which sort of goes in between business and life and Judaism and spirituality and mindset, it's, it's really all encompassing. But the, the one main thing that I want everyone to pay attention to is how Judaism and how spirituality really helps in, encapsulate and bring together all kinds of principles that's really like really tools for life in the sense that the the depth of our spirituality helps us not just do better in the spiritual sense but in the in the life sense as well and uh i think that there are a lot of very practical takeaways uh, ways to structure our thinking ways to structure our businesses and i am thrilled to have on the show today david smith well, ladies and gentlemen, this podcast has been brought to you by me, Jacob Rupp, and Jacob Rupp's Consulting, uh, Technically Lift Your Legacy. Now, I have to be honest, I help clients often get out of their own way. And something that has really held me up was exactly the same thing, that I was in my own way. For months, people have been saying, you know, talk about your coaching, talk about how you help people, share it, etc. And I had a really hard time putting it out there. Why? Because it's not that I don't think I do a great job. I've seen amazing results from my clients, you know, 10x, uh, more than that, businesses, fixed relationships, um, helped people lose a lot of weight, people go on the path of, of making goals and fulfilling their goals, all of these things. I know I do it. And I've been in the coaching space long enough to know that there's a lot of people that don't really deliver. And the ones that do really deliver are, are worth literally their, their weight in gold because so often we're held back by stuff. And it's just like, if only I could get over that, if only I could work through that. And I help people do that. But for me, my big holdup was sharing that I do this in a big way, in a public way, especially on the podcast, because it's awkward. I don't want people to think, oh, I'm just making the podcast to, to sell you stuff or to talk about stuff. So that, that's not what I'm doing. Um, my point is like this. My coaching business is expanding. I'm taking on a few more clients. If you are someone that is struggling in the area of self-esteem, goal setting, health, relationships, or your, or your business, really, um, reach out. I don't know if we're a good fit to work with each other. What I can guarantee you is that we'll get on the phone for half an hour. Uh, I'll hear the kind of challenges you're having. You'll get a good feel if you don't know me yet of the kind of work I do, kind of program I would recommend for you. And if it's a great fit, we'll move forward. And if not, not. But I wanted to appreciate very much from the bottom of my heart, the fact that you guys all listen. I appreciate the amazing guests that I have. And I'm really thrilled to have broken through in my own life to the point where I could actually devote a segment to really make a somewhat long-winded, but I think very important advertisement. So if you want to reach out to me, the email is rabbi, R-A-B-B-I, Rupp at gmail.com. And the website is liftyourlegacy.live. 
and at lift your legacy, lift underscore your underscore legacy on Instagram. I think it's pretty simple. You, you know where to find me because you found the podcast. Thank you so much. David Smith, thank you so much for joining me. You are, besides an unbelievable father of nine, you are in a successful attorney living in, not living, living in Passaic, but, but working out of New York. And one of the things that most inspired me about our interview that I had you know, previously spoken to you about was how much, I guess you could say, of like life wisdom you, you brought into your practice and how so many people kind of just get totally sucked up in their careers and you're, you really fit this life concept into both the career, the family, et cetera. So maybe you can give me a little bit of background about how you got to where you are today. Well, it's good to be here, Jacob. And um, it's a great question. I think that the, you know, talk about life wisdom. Life wisdom is something that every human being has. And, and any, any wisdom or experience that I have, or when I say wisdom, I mean, some of that's really built into us, into our very fabric of our existence is God's gift to us. Some of that every person has. I don't think that my wisdom is it's definitely not greater than anyone else's. I think the difference is, is being able to identify what it is that wisdom is telling us because the wisdom is always speaking to us and being able to, to stick to that. So I know that when I was in college, when I was in law school, um, I had the opportunity to uh, make a choice. Do I want to go work in a, in a firm where, you know, the, the type of work life is that's the entire life that uh, people are making a choice to be part of or making family a priority. So that's something that I, I consciously chose to go in a certain direction. And the results are that there's a different outcome. So I, I don't know that it's uh, I've done anything special other than um, listening to what that voice is and then really deciding are the, are the messages that I'm hearing from outside of me, are they something I want to go along with? Because there's a lot of, you know, pressure throughout life. You have to have a certain degree. You have to get a certain job. You have to do certain things. And people take that for granted. I can't tell you how many times when you talk to somebody and say, hey, why don't you do things differently? But I can't. You know, this is the way the rules are. This is the way things are set up to go. And, and people find it very hard to realize that those are just someone else's ideas. So that, that leads to a really fascinating question. Did you grow up in, in an Orthodox family? I grew up in a modern Orthodox family. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your religious process, because if somebody looks at you, sees your wonderful beard, sees your yarmulke, you know, I, I don't think that Orthodox Jews are known for being the most, uh, having the most, you know, broad, you know, spectrum of, of opportunities. So what was your religious upbringing like? What made you kind of want to grow and change slightly? And Why? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I grew up in a family that was very, uh, had a lot of integrity. And um, also my father, I think, you know, one of the greatest spiritual, spiritual principles, uh, just two many spiritual things I learned from my father. One of them was simplicity. He said, you know, what did Abraham, our father, he, he came to recognize God. And it was a very simple understanding. And, and that's, that's what we need to keep connecting to, that very, very simple understanding of the oneness of God. There's nothing besides God. So that was one, one really important lesson. The other important spiritual principle was the ability to make our own path in life, that it's really, we're, we don't have to do what everyone else is doing. So I remember my father um, was now passed on, but he, he would not let a television in the house. And it was not from a religious conviction, but it was really from a conviction that, he wanted to be able to determine what 
input was going into his brain and not surrender his brain to another person who decided what he wants to you know, put on a TV show or onto a movie. And so I remember as a kid always protesting that, you know, Dad, why can't we get uh, TV? We'll watch National Geographic specials. And, and, and at that time, I didn't realize how National Geographic specials all had a political or uh, their own agenda. And, but it seemed very sweet and innocuous. And um, so he, of course, didn't give in to that. And that was really a tremendous spiritual lesson that, that whatever path we're choosing, the, real, the real, um, real job of a parent, the real job of each one of us is to develop a spiritual compass, to be able to transmit that spiritual compass to our children. What do you mean by spiritual compass? It means a direction. It means a, 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 a awareness of, of something. And I'm not, I'm not defined for the purpose of I'm not defining it. Whatever the person, individual, their spiritual compass is, be able to define it and be able to feel their sense of grounding in it, and then speak about that to their family and to their children. And then that is what the, the children become grounded in. So the, the grounding was, you know, it's very interesting that the, my father didn't cite the, the code of Jewish law and saying, you know, we, we, don't, we don't get affected. The first uh, law in the code of Jewish laws, we're not affected by those that mock us. So that applies across the board. So, you know, we had, my father drove a 1966 uh, Dodge convertible. Nice. Uh, and uh, that's, he just felt that's what he wanted to do. And everyone else was driving late model cars and fancy cars and stuff of that. And he just did not give into that. And then he did not um, give into the television. I remember when, you know, he thought Cabbage Patch dolls, I don't remember what those were. He thought they were really ugly. And he just refused to buy that from my, my sister because it's like, this is an ugly thing. Just because all your friends has, it doesn't mean it somehow became attractive. So it, it was a, a spiritual principle of being able to know who we are and being able to carry that. I always, I always think to myself, and I always share this when I can, that, that the most important thing is if you, if you know who you are and just follow through with that, that's more important than exactly the details of what you so are. So this might take us in a slightly uh, off-topic direction, but I'm, I'm curious. I think one of the big struggles that a lot of people have is we define ourselves by, I guess you could say, external definitions. What are you? And usually most people would say their, their profession or, you know, like they, they pick these external things as who they are. And then should the profession change or, you know, should they have a financial setback or a health setback? They, they have lost this sense of self because they've always defined themselves based on who they are or who they're in a relationship with. So how do you develop a sense of who you are that is independent and allows you to grow into the different things that you're passionate about? I think it's just listening to yourself. And, and um, sometimes you need, you know, sometimes I need to talk to someone to make sure I'm on the right track or, you know, get that, that reinforcement that, um, to, to stick with what I believe. But I'll just give you a simple example. So I sent my kids to a very fine Orthodox Jewish school, uh, private school. And, you know, everyone who sends their kids to a private Jewish school is obviously paying the money for that. They're spending the time on that. And, and they, there's a certain parents tend to surrender their supervision over their children's education because, you know, the school knows what they're doing. Right. So in this school, the, in the girls, for some reason, only in the girls, they teach them Shakespeare. Now, the point of my, what I'm going to say now is not to argue for or against Shakespeare, but I just want to bring out the point of defining what works for me. So I, I, I learned Shakespeare from grade seven, you know, and I just don't feel I want to, uh, I went to, my parents sent me to a private boys school in Canada 
And so we learned Shakespeare and, and all this kind of, I, I did not decide that I'm going to become more observant and tell my kids to an observant school so they could learn Shakespeare. And, and again, I'm not going to get into all the problems with Shakespeare, but I decided that I don't want my kids to learn Shakespeare. So I went to the administration and I said, um, I don't want my kids, I want my kids exempted from the Shakespeare. Now, what I told my kids was, if you decide later on you want to uh, read Shakespeare, I mean, you can. In fact, I probably have the Shakespeare books still in my boxes of books, right? You could read Shakespeare if you want, but I want to teach you that you're not beholden to the curriculum that someone else decided. You're not, you're not beholden to go and show up in class and listen to whatever someone wants to feed you. You get a choice. And, and that's your choice. And I'm teaching you to make that choice. And you may make different choices than me later on. But I'm giving you an example of how to make those choices, even to the extent of exempting you from the official curriculum. And wow. so that's, that's an example. That's, that's profound. So I have, I, now we're switched switch the parenting hat for a second if we could. Uh, question number one would be, I guess, how, what, what would you do should one of your children, you know, there are part, you, you know, you, you become more observant. And, and I think that one of the amazing components of just being able to objectively look at things is realize like something that is cultured, for example, like Shakespeare, like it, he's still a person with his own agendas. Or, you know, the plays reflect certain themes, which might or might not be true or things that we want to bring our kids up with. Um, but what if your kids would take offense or, or want to be exempt from some of the things that you think are fundamentally important, religious ideologies, etc. So how would you balance that? You don't have to listen to the program, but these are still important principles that you have to pay attention to. Well, that's a great question. And, and, and thank God, I don't, I, I don't have experience in that particular question. So how old are your kids, by the way? Oh, this is 18. Okay, great. So like, how would you, how would you deal with that theoretically? Well, I think that ultimately every person, if we're going to respect every human being for what they are, which is that they're, you know, we're all created in God's image. So we all have the choice. The beauty of our lives comes from our choice. So when you have a, a youngster, um, you know, I, I don't give my child a choice whether or not they're going to uh, eat. And I don't give my child a choice whether or not they're, and I teach my children, thank God for the, beneficence that he's given us if a child I, I would say this is all speaking theoretically but i mean i think i think part of, of parenting is to recognize that each child is going to sail on a ship their own and um they either will ha have seen the value of what i have felt is important um or not and and they may they may you know really what's very interesting in, in the um and the Gemara talks about a concept of a person, every person has their Zayar today. Everyone has their thing that's really exciting to them. And that includes Torah mitzvahs. There's some, you know, this assumption that somehow all parts of Torah are equally interesting and you got to like plug through it all is just not really the case. And I don't think that was that way in the previous generations. So some people are not really careful and, and it, or, or it doesn't really resonate with them. Particular ideas, particular emphases or particular practices that's not really the thing that they they either they choose not to do it or they don't do it with full they're not really fully invested in it because it just doesn't speak to them on the other hand you have things that someone could just be really this is their thing and they're really excited about that um and we all have that just i think to say otherwise to pretend that we're all like 100 percent on everything all the time is just not the reality so why not i just acknowledge that and and recognize that each child each person is going to have their thing that's going to and, and also, life is ebbs and flows. I mean, 
the the um, the Midler Rebbe, the second Lubavitch Rebbe, had a chassid who came to him and complained that he had had this beautiful davening. Davening was so you know praying was such a wonderful experience, and then after a while it just was like there was nothing going. So the Midler Rebbe answered to him that because you're getting it, God was giving you a taste of what's possible, but that was just a taste to then give you the you know now you have to work on it. But the point is, what do we see from that story? The story, and you know, not everyone wakes up every morning and says, "Hey, I just want to, you know, do everything that I did yesterday." Person could have a complete ups and downs, and and that's part of who, how God, God created us. You know, um, it's interesting. The Rambam, in his laws of, of prayer, says that if a person's traveling, they're they're exempt from the obligations of, of regular prayer. If they're sick, they're exempt from the obligation of regular prayer. There's all kinds of circumstances in life which take us out of that feeling of like being deeply connected or deeply, you know, motivated to do everything. That because and, and the real the real the, the, the point I want to bring it is that the all our activities, everything that we call a mitzvah, is something that's coming from the fact that we're alive. It's really instead of being driven by a, a book, it's meant to be driven by the fact that we're alive, and that's represented by the fact that the code of Jewish law is called the way of life. And you say, if you just live life as a normal, decent person, you'll, you will, it will just, all these things will automatically flow. And the more that we're aware that God is creating us and that God is, that that's all we are is divine energy, then it, it, it naturally, it's appealing to thank God for the food, you know, to want to bind ourselves to a closer relationship to God, to want to ask God for something, to thank God for something. That just that's a flow from, from who we really are. And really every human being, every human being has an obligation to pray. What does it mean an obligation to pray? It's not something that's, it, it, that's forced upon us. It just means it comes naturally. Like I have an obligation to breathe and, and I want to thank the source of that breath. Meaning, meaning that, thank you. That was fantastic. Meaning that if a, if, a, if a child, for example, doesn't feel it, it's not so simple for the parents to say it's the school's fault or it's the child's fault, but it, it could be that, that the parent themselves do not have a, a healthy relationship with the religion where, they, like you said, like where they're viewing it as oppressive or negative and they aren't in their own flow where this is kind of a natural outgrowth of, of who they are and that it's, it's beneficial. That's, that's what I'm hearing. It's like th- th- that it has to sit well with you as the parent, first of all, for it to sit well with the kids. And, and that is an ebb and a flow. Yes, it's an evident flow, and every child is different. Now. You have a child that takes things very seriously, and a child who's not, it's not they're not taking things seriously, but they let the, everything just goes like, you know, <laughs> they have their own flow, and it's just amazing to watch. So I have to ask myself, you know, I, I, I feel that whatever I see in my kids is really a reflection of me, just with a big magnifying glass, you know? And, you know, it's like, which parts am I too uptight about, and which parts am I, you know, do I need to really just be more loving and more uh, going with the flow? You know, that's, that's really what life is not meant to be a stressful experience. And if, if the process, I don't think anybody that's that, if you ever need to make a billboard, that's your billboard. You want to hang outside of your, uh, outside of your office. That's amazing. And, 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 and that's, if we are anything, if we're approaching anything, you know, I, 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 I mentioned to you about the three principles and that one of my teachers, Dr. Bill Pettit, 
Teachers where we did it, religious college law school. Oh, uh, Dr. Pettit, I Bill Pettit, I went to uh, actually in Minneapolis where you're headed to. Okay. Given a, a three day workshop called Nothing, Nothing Lacking, Never Broken, Nothing Lacking. And one of the things that he talks about is that whenever we feel that stress, the pressure inside of us, the, the distress, those are like rumble strips on the side of the road. Life is meant to be just like you're cruising down 55, 65, 70, whatever that speed is, you know, where, when the road, everything's just like really smooth on the highway and the engine is just like in that perfect groove. That's life. That is life. And that's the way God designed it. When we start feeling differently, those are the rumble strips. That's to let us know that we're using our divine power of thought in a way that's hurting us. So it's a warning sign. When, when the stomach is feeling stressed, when we get fear, when we're feeling anxious, when we start getting in medical conditions, that's, those are all gifts from God to let us know. Just like the, you know, you're driving along and then you're like, they feel the rumble strips. You don't start complaining about the engineer of the road and the guys that build the road. You're like, oh, thank God they put the rumble strips there to let me know I got to get back on track. So that's the same thing with all these difficulties. When when our income is not working out right, when our shalom bias is not working right, when things are not going the way we want, and more particularly, those are the externalities. But when the internal world is feeling anything other than that smooth place, that means we're, we're hitting the rumble strips. And those are wake-up calls. So how do you, how do you with, that, with that concept, obviously you, you, you went to law school, you built a successful practice. Obviously, you weren't cruising on easy street. And I think that when when you say something like that, we have a tendency to want to fall into complacency. I mean, I'm just, just, just hearing what you're saying. How do you combine that with working really hard and trying to go after the things that, that you want, as opposed to saying, well, maybe I, you know, maybe I should try to become a little bit more complacent. Well, Jacob, that's a, that's a great question, but it's coming from a whole bunch of thoughts that we have about how we need to work hard to get something. I love, can you just do the three principles first before we go into that? Because I love that. That's great. Go for it. Tell me. Well, you know, if we want to go back to what the three principles are. Yes, you know, please. These, Give these a little are, bit of a background about what it is. Okay, sure. So, so the way I understand three principles and it, you know, I encourage you to listen to more Sydney Banks. Sydney Banks is a, was a very simple um, Scottish welder who lived in British Columbia. And he just had this, this realization um, that, that he would say, all wise people in previous generations have had this realization also. Um, but just recognizing that all life, there's only, there's only three principles of life. There's three, you know, that apply in all circumstances, all situations. There's divine mind, which is the divine intelligence that is all things and, and through all things and beyond all things. We could call that God. There's divine consciousness, which is our awareness of, of this of God and of our own existence. And there's divine thought. Thought is the, the, the thoughts that the power that, that of thought that comes into our head. We have thoughts, a constant flow, a constant stream of thoughts. But we don't have any experience of, of existence other than through these three divine principles. So anything that you're experiencing right now, or I'm experiencing right now is through thought. If, if I'm hungry, I'm having a thought that I'm hungry. Um, if I'm having a thought I'm having a thought that I'm enjoying this conversation with you. I might be having a thought. I wonder what you're, if you're enjoying this kind of, no, I can have thinking about what you're thinking, but it's all my thought. And if we pay attention, we'll see that some thoughts 
you know, we have a really good feeling when we have those thoughts. And other thoughts just bring a, an immediate rush of, of stress. And so there's that flow of thoughts. Now, we can't... You would say, and, and this is something that I speak, I, I, I speak to clients a lot about it because I had to deal with so much of this in my own life. A lot of times people say, well, but this is actually true. You know, I, I am having this kind of a problem in my personal life. That's true. And we, we push back and we say, well, it might or might be, the, the, you're having the thought, that's for sure. And it might, that thought that this is a stressful thing, just like you're saying, if that doesn't sit well with you, maybe you should change the thought about it. How do you deal with, with that kind of a concept that, especially in the Western world, we're so, um, we are so conditioned to thinking that our thoughts are reality? Well, we need to learn how our minds are, what, how our minds work, how our thought works, and, and not use it against ourselves. Because most of the time, we're using it against ourselves. And we cannot control what thoughts come into our heads. It's a constant stream of thought. But we can choose which ones we're going to take seriously. And we have basically there's two types of thoughts. There's insecure thoughts and there's secure thoughts. And insecure thoughts, I mean, I can see the smile on your face. We all know what an insecure thought is. Uh, is my tie done okay? You know, um, how, how do you like the wall behind me? You know, those are all insecure thoughts. Because um, you're, you're looking for someone else to justify your existence, so to speak. Well, that's one form of, that's one form of insecure thoughts. Right. You know, I, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be good enough. Things are not good enough. There's that imposter syndrome concept, right? I don't deserve to be here. There's two, but, but those are all thoughts. It's not a syndrome. It's just a thought. Right. At the end of the day, that's all it is, is a thought. And all, all we are, the gift that we have is the ability to have a different thought in the next moment. My habitual thinking that I t may tend to an insecure thought is only a habit. It's not a disease. It's not a requirement. And it's no one else's fault other than the fact that I continue to habitually think that thought. And when I can make that choice to realize what it is and, and, and then and I don't even have to change my thinking. I mean, I could, but I also, because I have a choice, but I'm saying if I just let that thought go, uh, you know, another thought is coming right behind that thought. And, you know, we can be in, in a very straight state of distress and the next minute where everything's fine. Why? Because we just, the thoughts, we had different thoughts. So that's really the gift of, the gift of this understanding is to recognize that whenever I feel those rumble strips, it's because I'm taking seriously an insecure thought. Will we make payroll? Will we have, we want to increase double the size of our business. Will we have enough clients? You know, these are all insecure thoughts and there's an infinite number of combinations. But here's the key, Jacob. The content of the thoughts is completely irrelevant. Say, say that again. The content of the thoughts is completely irrelevant. Okay. It doesn't matter what type of insecure thought you're having. It's just that it's an insecure thought. That's all we need to realize. What happens is we get caught up in the content of the thought. We start saying, oh my gosh, it looks for real. Like I, I have a business this size. I want to double it and I don't have the clients to double it. Well, that's, that's real, but that's, that's irrelevant. The only thing that matters is that I'm having an insecure thought. And if we can come back to recognizing it's the content is irrelevant. The fact that someone said something to me and I'm feeling bothered by that, 
the content of what they said is irrelevant. All that matters is I'm feeling insecure. So one question that, that, that I, I kind of comes up is, you know, you came from a, you know, it sounds like a, a great home with strong values that you were able to really bring into your life. Um, you are aware of all of these great other wisdoms that are somewhat universal, not somewhat, very universal, that lots of people know that, you know, about like the three principles, et cetera. You, you went to law school, you built a career. Why Hasidic Judaism? Like what about that spoke to you? What were you, what were you looking for that that answered? Or what about this practice is so life-giving for you? So that's a, that's a great question. I love it. Um, I think that there's a couple, the, the, the hmm, how would I answer that question? You know, my parents, thank God they did the best that they knew. And they always felt that anyone more religious than them was just, you know, off the charts. Of course. I think uh, most people think that way. Right. Right. We're all, we're all right. And everyone else is wrong. Right. Uh, just the degree how wrong they are, you know? So, um, you know, my parents was very important to them that I, that I stay Jewish and I keep Jewish tradition. And, and in fact, when they sent me to the University of California, Berkeley, that's how I ended up in Chabad because they wanted me to live in the Chabad house. They figured I wouldn't keep Shabbos and kosher in the dormitory and it'd be better to be in a Chabad house. But they said the second, that's condition number one. And the second condition is you can't become Labavitcher. <laughs> so, so what I saw there was um, just the love, the, 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 the warmth um, and the joy. And those were things that also for me, it was very much like, it was when I came into Chabad in, in Berkeley, it was like, oh, this is, these are the missing details that I didn't learn before. Like it just seemed to, for me, it was like a natural extension of something. Oh, this is what we're supposed to do. These are the additional things. Like I already put on tefillin, I already kept showers, I already kept kosher, but I, I just filled out the picture for me. Um, so that, that, was, that, was really, um, that was really hopeful. And I think, I think that also in terms of Hasidus, I think that... Um, you know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, like all his predecessors, it's really, the, the Rebbe is really a continuation of, of thousands of years, and, and in particular, the nine generations, the Baal Shem Tov, and, and the seven generations since the founder of Chabad. The, the constant vision of hope, the constant vision of what a person really is, the, the innate health of a person that, you know, in the, in the, the person is truly well, all that he really is is his soul, and there's some super, superficial difficulties that he may be thinking that he has. But when you listen to the Rebbe speak to people, um, he does not relate to any of their difficulties. Not, not that he doesn't have compassion for them, but he sees that all these difficulties are really just, you know, they're one thought away from a solution. And he's showing them how they can, um, they can just go past that. And, and it's really remarkable because we're talking before about the rules. So a person would come to go to a doctor and the doctor would say that his diagnosis and, and this, is the, this is the prognosis and this is the consequence and there's no way out kind of thing. And the Rebbe, they'd come to the Rebbe and the Rebbe would like just wave away with his hand. So was the Rebbe waving away the disease with his hand? Well, the way I understand it is the Rebbe was waving away the person's thinking about how they're limited by what the doctor had said. 
just because the doctor said that you do not have to relate. Let, let's, let's just, I'm, I'm showing you just wave that away. Do not surrender your own divinity to the thoughts of another man. Because that's all it is. When a doctor looks at the data and he says, this is the prognosis, this is the condition. It's just his thoughts about data based on, maybe it's based on his experience, but it, it's irrelevant to the per, this particular individual. So the Rebbe is telling you, no, you let's wave that away. Don't get stuck in that box. And that's where we started in this conversation. Getting stuck in the box that the only way to earn a living is to work harder, is to go to work. You know, you have to sacrifice family. You have to, I mean, why is there such a thing as a work-life balance? I mean, that sounds like there's a struggle between the two. Why does it have to be a struggle? And if you, if you re read the Rebbe, explanation of how we're supposed to use our time, he says very simply, first of all, he says that, that talking about Egypt, when we think we have to work harder, that's Egypt. That's being, that's being subjugated. But he says, first you start, how many hours do you have to sleep? Seven, six, Seven, six nine, whatever it is, whatever you need. Okay, that's taken care of. Now what do you need to take care of your wife and kids? Okay, that's off the charts. That's, off the, that's not negotiable. What do we need for our spiritual, spiritual taking care of ourselves spiritually? Again, I don't want to use the word obligation because it just comes, you know, you, you want to con connect, connect yourself to, to having a broader and higher level of consciousness. That's what learning Torah is. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a strain and obligation. It's a, even if you don't even understand the words, if you just look at the words, people think they have to like get, understand all the words that they're learning. No, that's not the thing. That's, that's, that's a secular, that's a secular approach to learning Torah. The way to learn Torah is to just recognize that you are in the presence of divinity, in terms of presence of God. And whether you understand one word or none of the words or all the words or some of the arguments, that's where you are. If you're in that level of, of understanding and consciousness, then that's, that's it. You don't have to go anywhere with that. And so that's the gift to, to be able to recognize that. And then, then life is just, and we're always, we're always coming back to this, like, I have to do more, I have to do more. But that's not helpful. That's not helpful at all, whether it's in learning, in davening, in, in uh, we're supposed to be spending more time with our kids, we're supposed to be doing more work. It's like, it's all, it's all rumble strips warning us that we're off the track. I, I want to be, be cognizant of your time, so I'm just going to ask, I'm going to ask one more question, but maybe we'll circle back because this is so fantastic. I really, I really appreciate this. I'm, I know I'm going to rewatch this a couple of times, and I already know the couple of people I'm going to send this to um, before, it even go, before it even goes live. But um, I, Ber Berkeley's a beautiful place. You know, obviously a, a, a very a, a storied place of a lot of idealism, a lot of activism, a lot of, you know, California in general is very exciting as a, as a, as a lifelong Californian. Um, and, and being in the legal world also, there's a lot of, I guess you could say expectation. There's, there's a lot of a certain way of thinking. You know, there's, I, I saw something like there's, being a lawyer is the only profession where there's like a whole sub-profession of people helping people get out of being in that profession. So with all of the noise that's out there, how does a person choose a meaningful life? You're saying you lived in the Chabad house, but you also lived in Berkeley, California. So it's like there was no shortage of, of other ideas out there. So how did you pick this? 
And how have you maintained this while being in your corporate environment in, in New York, in that professional world? So we, we have the choice to ch create our own environment. There's, there is no environment other than what we create. And that, that applies both in the natural world and in the man-made world. Um, we, can, we can choose to have a frenetic pace. We can choose to, uh, and, and it can vary from moment to moment. Meaning to say, I can start my day very relaxed, suddenly have a bunch of insecure, stressful thoughts. And, and by the way, one thing I wanted to mention, all emotions are the result of a thought. So whenever I'm having an emotion, I know there's a thought behind that. What is that thought? And do I want to take it seriously? So if I am seeing that my level of, of mental busyness is getting higher and higher, uh, I have a choice. Do I want to stay in there? Or do I want to go back to a quiet mind? Which may mean that I'm only going to do one thing the rest of the day instead of the thinking I was going to do 90 things. But I was only going to do one thing anyways, you know, uh, or two things and probably poorly because I was under such stress. But I think the key is that we, we make our own environment. We make our own environment. We can make any life that we want. And we can make any work environment that we want. We can make any way that our team members and our firm, how they interact. What do we set as our values? What do we set as our vision? Um, that's something that we could do. And in, in our firm, I don't have it up on the wall right now because we just, as I said, we just, we just moved in and we're just getting the walls painted. But, um, you know, it's the spiritual principles that underlie this firm are really front and center. And, and everyone in this firm, Jewish and non-Jewish, is, is part of that. And that's, we review them and they're up there. And, you know, concepts like, you know, the importance of faith and hope and, and believing that God provides our income and we're not going to make a penny more than what's been, been set for us so we don't have to cut any corners. Um, these are things that, that I believe and I can create an environment that will help the people that work with us. Not only, not only does it screen out some people, both as clients and, and screening out clients, you know, this is very important. What are we, what are we willing to do for a client? We're willing to do anything for an honest client who has an honest objective. That's what I think a lawyer, that's what I believe that lawyer is meant to do, do anything for an honest client with an honest objective. But if the client's not honest, we want, to, we want to determine that right away and we want to, we want to screen that person out because it doesn't fit with the, the world. And I think, I think there was a story with that in the, the article that you did, um, which I can get into another time if, it, if we wanted to. That's a fascinating story. But, um, but we really create the environment. And I'll, I'll bring out this concept. You know, the, the, um, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe has a Maimar Hasidic, a Hasidic discourse called Maim Rabim. And one of the fascinating things I noticed when I started learning three principles and that understanding was that how this is really what um, the Alter Abit and, and Tanya was talking about and what the, all the Rebbeim are talking about. But in this Mayim Rabbim, he talks about how it's really our thoughts that, that get us off track. And thoughts are constantly, it's like water constantly ebbing and flowing. And when we have a thought in this direction, then our whole body and emotions go after that. And then we have a thought in the other direction and thoughts and body. It's just going back and forth. And it's, it's crazy making. It's crazy making because then we start, we, we lose our ability to focus on anything productive. And, and that's how we can go through our lives. But he shows that it's not, that's not how we, that's not how we, 
need to go, we can replace those insecure thoughts with a secure thought. And when we have a secure thought, then whatever I decide is the right thing to do for my business is the right thing to do because people will see that I'm not making my determination based on an outside someone else's thinking or my thinking about someone else's thinking, but I'm making my, my choices based on my best understanding of what divine wisdom is telling me. That's beautiful. David, please tell us a little bit more about how we can find out more about you, about your firm, the kind of people you would like to work with, ideal clients. Give us more. So, uh, thanks for asking. So, my website is edslaw.net, and uh, you can read about the firm there. We also have a link to your article. Thank you. Uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll have this YouTube video when, the, when it's done. I hope, I hope so. Um, in terms of ideal clients, you know, we're, we're, we're the first um, – thing that on our list of eight qualifications of an ideal client is that they are they have integrity and uh, you know then and if they have to have integrity they have to be a person that values the work that we're doing they pay on time obviously they, they send referrals um, they have a sense of humor they're positive and pleasant to deal with they're spiritual people these are the things that we look for because you know like I said life is supposed to be like meant to be um, and when, when I say supposed to, if when we get off on the rumble strips, it's all innocent. It's all innocent. We can gently bring ourselves back. Because when we get in the rumble strips or even fall off the road, it's just because of our thinking. You know, every human being in history has done the best they can based on the thoughts that they were having and taking seriously. And if we could look at ourselves that way and the people around us, and really starting with ourselves, but seeing the innocence, the psychological innocence of each one of us, Whatever things we do is only because we're taking seriously some thought in that moment. So we can, we can get back track on right away, uh, back on track right away. Um, and I don't know what, I, I maybe have lost track of your question. That's, questions. That's great. I, I really, I really, you know, that, that loving understanding of ourselves that every, and, and each one of us, that each one of us is really, innately healthy each one of us has in us that divine wisdom and no matter how per a person is whether they are sitting in a suit and a tie uh, and looking just fine or sitting in a psychiatric ward they are just processing thoughts it's just thoughts going through them and they're depending on which ones are taking seriously and sometimes the people in the suits and the ties they could be as bad off as the person that's like yeah or worse they're worse off because they don't have any care right no care in the helmet but <laughs> but the message for each one of those people is it's all it's all a thought every moment is a thought that we're having these thoughts come through and if, and if we could lovingly look at ourselves in our innate health see our innate health see our psychological innocence see what's really that we've just we've just gone off track a little bit and it takes nothing to come back on track except the next thought. Amazing. David, thank you so much for the time. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate it. Likewise, Jacob. Thank you. Really hope I have another opportunity. Absolutely. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, we have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.